0: My name is Kim Weeks, and this is The Weeks Well. Sean Korn is a body of work. She has always thought of her yoga teaching as a skill, which I loved unpacking with her because she started from that point as she expanded her career Yes, she was a yoga misfit and yes, she was anxious early on in Shavasana. But after decades of practicing and teaching, she is very clear on how that feeling of being a misfit, that feeling of being anxious at a time when, these are her words, you know, the yoga teacher was prattling on about, about something important to focus on in class she's clear that that was about projection and disassociation and trauma. So her journey as a teacher and really as the person who's become one of the most influential yoga people that I know about, started when she brought, these are her words now, a white fluffiness to young girls at an organization in Los Angeles called Children of the Night, which is a nonprofit serving girls between the ages of 12 and 17 who've been sex, sex trafficked, she talks about how rather than serving them, she was served by them. She was served by seeing, and this is her words again, 16 mirrors of her own self, of their shadows, their traumas, and their abuses. So we dive into the concept of the shadow big time in this conversation, how modern psychotherapy has been wonderfully adjunctive for her and her work, which I think would resonate with a lot of people listening. I think I can also speak for myself. Psychotherapy has been a huge assistant to me in my yoga practice and vice versa, yoga to the therapy. And so we talk about excavating and embracing the fact that we're all capable of hurting and being hurt and that many people are simply addicted to their thought patterns and their actions of harm. So here Sean is, decades after that watershed moment with a group of abused and abandoned girls, having become one of the most influential people in modern yoga. She's raised millions of dollars for the various organizations she has founded and or has served on. She's written a very popular book, Revolution of the Soul, which came out in 2019, And one of the most interesting discoveries for me in this conversation was that after 25 years of teaching yoga, she is only now going to start a teacher training program. She's starting that next year in 2024. We talked about her teaching, her living philosophy. And as for yoga lineage, you know, she's grounded in the writings and inspired by living in the world. So for those who follow this podcast, stay tuned for Doug Keller's second visit with me next week, which has so many echoes of what Sean and I talked about this week. And if you haven't listened to Eddie Stern from last week, pick up on that because these conversations have flowed together so um, beautifully. It's just been so interesting um, sitting down with these folks and listening to the different things that they say that are so connected and similar to each other. The question that we really dug into, and I'll just pose to all of us right now is, you know, what are we really doing now? What is our identity as yoga teachers, as healers, as those listening on the podcast who are yoga students and maybe even yoga interested? How are we using all of these intersections that we have really begun to embrace as a result of COVID and beyond for the greater good. We also talk about the chakras, which hasn't come up on this podcast in a while, and I hope you enjoy that too. Here is the inimitable Sean Korn. Well, Sean Korn, it is so nice to connect with you after we just discovered 20 years. (laughs) Nice to see you. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate you inviting me on to have this conversation, truly. Yeah, we overlap in so many ways, and it's so nice to talk to you and there are a lot of ways I could start this conversation but as before we pressed record I said you know one of the neatest things that Rob Schwer said to me in the very first meeting he and I had was at the end of the day yoga's about service is it not about service and when we one can only take a glance at your career and see that that's something that drives you so can we start there and talk a little bit about that that inspiration drive for you? Sure. I agree with Rob 100%.
1: I mean, I truly do believe that when you get into your practice and it starts to have a real impact on your your physical, mental, and emotional health and wellness, that there is a point where the practice becomes less about the individual and more about the collective, where your nervous system is oriented towards looking outward and seeing um, that for any of us, to be happy, for any of us to be healthy, for any of us um, to be free, as the saying goes, we must all be free, we must all be happy, we must all be healthy, and that we have a unique responsibility to orient towards um, the challenges that exist in this world and do whatever we can to help alleviate those challenges. My feeling is that if we don't, if we ignore it, deny it, reject it, uh, then we're also somehow complicit to it. And so the yoga practice, it wasn't always like that for me. It's just one of those things that just kept evolving. And just like going deeper in a backbend or your hamstrings opening up, it was just the inevitable next step to the evolution of my own practice was
0: to orient out towards the world and contribute to its healing. And you know humans are social creatures and so if you draw that line from this deep like I had like I, yesterday I was getting ready for a class and I was like I cannot wait for like 90 minutes to practice 90 which for me working parent we just moved here La, la it's just a little bit of a luxury feels like sometimes but then a friend of mine who isn't often available she's so busy she's a reporter so she's God, just doesn't like to talk on the phone unless it's to, you know, get a scoop or something. She was available. And so I wound up talking to her for an hour. And at the end of it had like a 45-minute practice, or 30-minute practice. And it was so interesting to be in that space between I want to go, quote, navel gaze or I want to go, like, deep in. But I also want so much to commune with her. And at the end of it, I thought, I just asked myself, aren't those both a yoga practice if I'm doing it intentionally? So mm-hmm. I say that to say we're social creatures and you're talking about this, like, I and mean, that's what I love so much about off the mat into the world because I was telling my daughter about it on the way to drop off today. I was saying it's such an interesting idea that you're on your mat making these discoveries and you just, you need to go commune. So do you remember the moment when it happened? You talk about it as an evolution, but... What would happen? Would it be in Shavasana? Would it be after the class or would it be amid your fellow students or as you were teaching? Well, I think that when it was what draws my
1: mind to a specific incident that really did begin to change everything would have been in the 90s. This wasn't a conscious decision. It was more of like a spiritually paranoid decision in that uh i started to unexpectedly i started to create make a living out of teaching yoga um it's not what i expected you know when i did my first teachers training back in the day this was kind of pre you know the celebrity yoga teacher you were just like hustling and uh it totally and i did my first teachers training uh and very quickly, something happened in Los Angeles where little yoga classes were just packed with people. People coming in from the gyms, a really mainstream audience that are suddenly wanting to get their zen on, um, but not at the expense of like you know of you know uh, of their biceps. And so it was a really interesting moment, and my career suddenly just blew up on a local level. And I started to make money, which was, again, unexpected. I mean, I remember my father saying to me, like, how are you going to support yourself teaching yoga? And I said to him, I will never make any money at this, but I will live every single day of my life happy. And I really meant that. At that time, I really thought that this was a commitment to something that I loved and I would make it work. Ironically, it became very popular and I started making a living. And I had a real feeling around abundance that when abundance comes in, you have to extend the abundance out; otherwise, you stop the flow of energy. And I did not want to stop the flow of energy. I was really happy that I could pay my rent and you know have a little ec- left over. And so I thought, well, I should probably give back. And well, I thought, what would that look like? You know, and I. My only skill is teaching yoga, so I knew that that was what I had to do. And I thought a lot about the population in which I would probably be most comfortable uh, supporting in yoga, which would be young girls. And I got a job at, the, at Children of the Night, which um, houses, uh, educates, um, provides legal support uh, to girls who have been trafficked. And because sexual abuse had been part of my own personal history, it felt like a really, a good match for me. I'm like, oh, I understand these girls. I'll go in and, you know, I'll teach them how to breathe. And so I went in and that first day had one of the worst experiences ever. I was really overwhelmed. It was very, very intense. The girls were not impressed by my white fluffiness. They wouldn't listen. They were disruptive and rude. And I was really triggered by them. And I couldn't wait for it to be over. And I got into my car and I burst out crying. And that was the moment everything changed for me is because suddenly I realized that what actually had happened is that I walked into an environment where there was trauma. The trauma was a mirror of my own. And I met there were 16 young girls there. I met 16 examples of my disowned shadow self that hadn't yet been healed. I thought it was healed, but in, but it was actually just internalized. And until I met it, I realized that I had been running from it and I knew I had to go back. That perhaps I had some skills that I can offer these young people that can help regulate their central nervous system but more importantly for me in that moment was to see who are these people? What's my reaction to them and why? And what can they teach me about the self? And so my service, and I put that in air quotes, because I was the one who got served during that period in a really deep, very profound um, way. And in that process, I, by learning how to stand in the presence of their shadow, their trauma, the abuse that they experienced, and fully love them, love them for their anger, love them for, like, it all made sense why they were behaving in the way in which they behaved. Um, It helped me to fall in love with that broken part of myself and be in more direct relationship, not from a place, a hierarchy, where somehow I'm better here. I've got these tools that are going to make you happy and healthy. It wasn't like that for me. So I was very humbled by the process. I learned that um, it helped me to turn my own pain into purpose. And that in those environments, it was important to share, to um, demystify uh, not minimize, but demystify trauma in terms of who gets to be traumatized and who doesn't and how the practice of yoga can help to center the nervous system in such a way that we can live in, we can be in relationship with our trauma without letting it run the show. And so it really transformed me. And I think that that became my first foray, if you will, into service. Uh, not, it wasn't from an altruistic place. It was, A, I didn't want to stop the flow of abundance, um, and it became a mirror to my own healing, and then in time, I started to recognize and see the bigger picture to why things happen as they have and realize that that's exactly the population that I need to be working with. Um, It helps to make sense of the incomprehensible and to orient towards the suffering rather than run from it, not in spite of my own pain, but actually because of it. And then it evolved from there. I started working with um, these young girls and many of the children that I were working with at the time um, had HIV AIDS um, because of the circumstances that they were in. At that time, there was a real stigma around HIV AIDS um, and especially when it came to youth, there was just a lot of ignorance around it. And so uh, I then had the opportunity to go to India and with youth aids and visit the brothels there and learn more about the systems that are in place that continue to um, inflict this level of abuse on women and children, um, the impact that it has socially and the different services that are working tirelessly in order to create opportunities for education as well as provide the medical care necessary. And Then I started thinking like, besides teaching yoga, that's the only one little thing I can do because that's my skill. What else can I do to help raise awareness? And I thought, well, I have, um, at this point I'm more national, you know, I'm out there in the world and I'm teaching and I have a larger following. And I thought about that. I have a platform. I have a following. People seem to be really invested in me personally. You know, what hair product I use, what clothing I'm wearing, what mat I'm using. Mm -hmm. but I thought like how can I redirect the attention off of myself but use the platform as a way to highlight different issues that are of interest to me that people might not be aware of and help them to understand what a great position that we are in as a collective in order to actually elicit change and and that's where I started to raise money for the first time. That was my first kind of like foray into, um, what's it called, uh, a fundraising. Yeah, that, yes. I had never done any of this kind of stuff before. I had been an activist back in the, in the um, 80s in New York City when I lived there, also related to HIV, AIDS and other issues, uh, gay rights, women's rights. And, but I was an awful activist because I had no yoga practice. I had a lot of trauma. I didn't understand the way in which some of these environments fed into an already deregulated nervous system. The raging, the screaming, um, the conflict and the confrontation actually made me feel better because I was um, actually purging energy. I was discharging the rage. So I would feel better for a day or two or three until I didn't because I didn't have any skills. So I had stopped my activism because again, it wasn't sustainable, got into yoga, learned these, these skills of, um, or I thought I had learned, I I did learn the skills, but it's a never ending process, the skills to help regulate the nervous system. Um, But when I got back in there and met those young, those, those girls, and they held the mirror up to my own shadow self, like I watched my nervous system just spike. The difference is, back when I was young and an activist, the rate in which I was capable of regulating my nervous system was non-existent. With tools, I can get triggered, cry, tap, breathe. My nervous system is gonna regulate quicker. I'm gonna make healthier choices as a result. And so my activism, my commitment to service, it just started to make sense on every level. It might, it made, I was never comfortable with the focus being on me or, or the popularity. It, it, I never understood it because it happened so quickly. I didn't have a lot of models for it. I didn't know who to talk to. Um, I knew it was a great opportunity to bring yoga out, but it was also genuinely ego filled and it's seductive. Um, It's like, if I don't feel good about myself, all I have to do is book a class, go in there, teach, and I'm going to have 10, 20, 100 people telling me I'm fabulous and I don't have to work on me. And I knew it was a trap. So I just kept thinking, how do I keep using this platform, redirecting the attention, raising significant funds, um, and learning? And So Off the Mat Into the World was created as a a platform to raise awareness, raise funds in a more organized way to build social circles, to your point, um, like uh, networking, um, bringing people together uh, who share common values is really the way to create um, systemic inside out social change. So we started building circles, um, but during that period, It's like, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And it was, I got to really see, uh, I don't have a college education. I had never learned anything about social justice. I didn't understand systemic racism. I didn't understand, I understood the terminology, but I didn't understand the systems in place that perpetuate homophobia, transphobia, um, bias, prejudice, bigotry, um, oppression, and By doing the work that I was doing, I was confronted by my own internalized racism, my own internalized homophobia, my own internalized biases, et cetera, et cetera. And was really forced into having to go even deeper into my yoga practice to learn what information did I embody. Based on my upbringing, my education, my um, religion, my ancestry, my culture that lives within this body, that when I'm deregulated or um, dysregulated or overwhelmed, my energetic default is going to fall back into what my body knows. And that's only going to create more separation. So I had to do some real deep work and off the mat then continue to evolve. And we then started teaching other people how to use the physical practice as a way to discharge the energy and excavate the limiting beliefs that we carry ancestrally that actually contribute to the continued oppression. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're in a white body like I am, there's white bodied supremacy and so, and fragility, and you know, all of it. And so there was a really deep yoga process that had to happen, that allowed my service to become more nuanced. Mm. Because I, I would have to say that in the beginning, my service would have been like, "I want to fix this," yeah. and and that made sense to my body. You, I want to help, but I didn't realize the context in which that helping laid based on history, uh, uh, um, it's just years and years and years of white supremacy, of colonization. And so it became its own really deep yoga. So as we learned, because I had co-founders with Off The Mat, as we learned and challenged ourselves and felt into our own body and lived experience, we then invited the, the students in our community to start to look at what they're embodying and the impact that it has so a long-winded
0: answer to your question so great i know (laughs) i so there are a couple things i just want to pin before i lose them in the you know in this amazing conversation the sort of flow of abundance the observing your own shadow self and side maybe sides you know when you were faced with these were they teen girls that you were. Yeah, they're between, between the ages of um, 12 and 17. Yeah, so, you know, between teen girls. Yeah. And recognizing that, I, I wonder if, I mean, it sounds like there were two things. Like before you met them, you had had this activist approach where you wanted to fix it. And I've, you know, living in DC for 20 years. You, you know, you sort of walk a walk half a block and you run into a couple of activists and there is so much rage there because there's so much you want to change. And if your your starting point is this is wrong, I want to change it, then there's necessarily an assertiveness and aggressiveness even in the mind because you're looking at something you want, as you said, to fix. so. The tears that happened with the girl from the girls after your first meeting is is something I want to just like thread into the question I have about your practice and even the work that you did with your co-founders at Off because I wonder, well, and you might have even answered it by saying we use the practice to discharge, you know, that energy. Was there were there specific techniques? Or ways of approaching the discharging from the body that you found worked for you, that worked maybe differently for others, or in some other way. And did that come from your original teacher training? Like I kind of want to go right into the body and talk about that discharging because I would love to get to the chakra part yeah. of your focus because I love it too. But you know Yeah, you know, um the
1: when I first started doing yoga, which would have been back in the '80s, um, it was very physical. I had, was I was an atheist. I did not have a spiritual practice at all. Um, the practice just helped me to break some bad habits, like smoking and drinking and doing drugs, and helped me to get on a better physical trajectory. And but I hated when the teacher would pontificate or or pray. I couldn't even stand to um, shavasana at the end of a class. Um, I would get anxious, yep, and one day, in a yoga class here in Los Angeles, uh, I was practicing. the teacher was prattling on about, you know, truth, love, whatever it was. And all this stuff was coming up for me. I was getting anxious, I was projecting onto the students around me. I couldn't I was fidgeting um and I was getting frustrated in my head. I was really filled with like self beat and judgment because I couldn't get my head quiet. And uh, I, the teacher said something and I cannot recall, but I had my a physical response to it. I remember like I gulped in air like, and my body started to shake. And I observed myself for a moment. I thought I'm gonna cry. That had never happened to me before. I was not a crier in life in any way, um, uh, slightly stoic. Uh, yeah. And I started to feel really panicky. So I left the room and I went into the bathroom at Yoga Works and I cried. It was like a violent eruption of crying. And my body started to shake really, really badly. Um, and I could just feel this energy just. It felt like it was just pouring out of my body, but I was also really scared by it because I didn't know the mind-body connection at this point. I didn't understand the way in which we release, uh, how energy is vibration. It's a resonance. And and what happens when you release energy, it intimidated me. Yet at the same time, when it was over this rush of emotion, I felt light, strangely uh, euphoric, I went back into the room, got back into the pose, which was pigeon pose, and suddenly I heard the teacher for the first time. I'm sure this teacher was saying the same stuff every single class for years and years, but something in my body, the years of extra push-ups, the years of like going just that much deeper into a pose was slowly had chipped away at the tension. That was a part of my survival. It was a necessary part of the way in which this body needed to create control. But what yoga does is it from every single angle, it breaks down the tension and it helps us to release that tension. And in the releasing of the tension, we also release the control. That's a sensation between the release of tension and, and the surrender Um that control, if it's part of your survival, you get addicted to that sensation because you don't know what's on the other side of it. For me, it would have been um, it would have been abuse. For me, it would have been a lot of other things. Uh, so that control was such a huge part of my safety that those years of those extra pushups was my nervous system was actually titrating to prepare me for that moment. So when I was laying on the floor and I'm hearing the teacher basically felt like he had opened up my journal and was just reading my like deepest inner thoughts out loud and my body started to shake again. But instead of leaving the room, I stayed with it and I started to remember some of the tools um, to breathe, to stay present, um, to uh, not dissociate, like just keep stay with the sensation, stay with the sensation. And I had such a pro... Profound emotional release in that environment that elicited the deepest connection at that time. Of course, it was the, it was like what I understood. The resistance became vulnerability. The vulnerability moved me into surrender. And when I was able to surrender, my heart for the first time opened to the possibility that there existed within me a God, a light, Mm -hmm. an illumination that was beyond the literal logical. I had a felt experience of it and I knew my yoga practice was never going to be the same again. And that sent me on a a, a very deep process of trying to understand the mind-body connection, to understand the significance of trauma and how the brain and the vagus nerve works um, that this is not woo woo, it's actually biological. And, and there are ways that we can within the esoteric practice of yoga, use the subtle body as a roadmap for um, information, inspiration. Um, And that's how I utilize the chakras. Simultaneous to this though, I was working with a therapist who's, she's unfortunately died um, some years ago in a car accident, but her name was Mona Miller. And I worked with her for 11 years and Mona was the one who taught me about anger work and what she called rinsing and helped me to understand that I, as many people are, are over-understanding, over-understanders, meaning I can tell you how I feel, but I don't actually feel anything. And so you you will look at me and think I'm emotionally mature when I'm actually completely dissociated, completely shut down. So she had me, one of her techniques was to rinse the animal, was that to befriend the shadow but that the shadow had an energy like everything does. And that included the energy of fear and rage, unresolved grief, shame, and that you had to excavate this energy before you can get to the truth of yourself. So I spent many a year beating the shit out of pillows, writing fuck you letters, um, screaming at the top of my lungs, things that make me very, very uncomfortable because it's out of control. And again, it's breaking that, that addiction to control. So I learned how to discharge energy with Mona. She also helped me to understand that the my my perception was influenced by the sensations that lived within my body historically. And that every time I was triggered by an event, I was no longer in, in present time. I was my six-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 14, whatever. And that in yoga, I was being taught how to detach. That seemed like a, you know, that seemed like a celebration. Big feelings come up, you detach. But what Mona taught me was actually detachment without awareness is dissociation. Right, And so she taught me how to go towards the shadow that if I believed in yoga as she challenged, which means to come together and make whole, then I can't reject my ego. I can't reject the, the fear, the rage, the shame, the guilt. I actually have to draw it in that it's a part of my lived experience, that it lives in my body as some scars, and that it has a wisdom to teach me And so I had to learn how to unify my relationship with these different aspects of self. So the yoga practice, the meditation, the breath work, the asana helps to release the deepest layers of tension. It helps to regulate the central nervous system in the brain so that as big feelings come up, I'm able to bear witness to those feelings. I can actually feel those feelings but they do not uh they they don't um what is it, drive the car, if you will. Like they they don't run the show. Um, but I also have to give space for them. And as a friend often says, you cannot get to the bless you until you go through the fuck you. And <laughs> yogis, true. we tend to, it, it tends to be a very performative experience, especially as a yoga teacher. You project this level of, of emotional maturity of, of spiritual um, uh, acuity um, when the truth is we, like everybody else, and are complex beings. And what the yoga practice taught me is how to rinse and process the big feelings as they come up, learn from them, grow from them, cultivate a sense of self-empathy self non-judgment, see a bigger spiritual picture to why things happen as they do, recognize that we can't change what is, that's just life. But through the practice of yoga, we can change our perception to those experiences and become empowered, not in spite, but because of whatever our narratives are. And that our pain very often becomes our purpose. And the very thing that brought us onto the mat not always, but very often is the very thing in which we have cultivated the most amount of wisdom and skill to get off the mat and serve. Because when we meet our disowned self, like I did at at at, at Children of the Night, when I'm integrated and whole, I'm going to meet their shadow self with nothing but love and compassion. And I'm gonna recognize that all of us on the spiritual path, we do the best we can with what little we know based on our own trauma and the lack of tools that were available to us at that time. And that ultimately everyone is here in their own unique bodies to learn what love is and how that happens is dependent on so many things, including trauma and karma and life and culture and education. And there's, it's no one's business that it's between them and the God of their own unique understanding. And it has, each person has their own unique timeline. If I have compassion for my journey, then I will have compassion for someone else's. And that to me is when my service became more uh, more generous. More Actually, it's not the right word, more genuine. My service became more humble and more genuine when I was able to see that, uh, the depths of why people do what they do lives within the body. And that if you do not have tools to help with self-regulation, all of us are capable of, of hurting and being hurt. You know, all of us are capable of contributing to the suffering that exists. And so we have to apply these practices to me, if we really want to be yogis on this path and we recognize that our liberation is bound, which it is, then we have to orient towards the world and, and participate in creating social change.
0: Yes, <laughs> and there's so many questions I have there. You answered, I mean, you know, it's so amazing because the question, what my question was, talk to me about the practices and you, from my point of view, you talked about every practice you could possibly be applying, not just at a sort of leadership and management level, let's just say, with your co-founders and the people you run, you know, multiple organizations with, but also with your students, because our jobs as teachers um, rests in doing whatever we can to explain. What has worked for us? What particular tactics and techniques and maybe methodologies, like a whole big thing, like you've got to believe in this one thing? I mean, that's something that I'm really trying to explore in this podcast because I have as many post lineage and unlineage people as I do lineage lovers, <laughs> you know, because I think there's so much intersection right now with all of this. It, I think it all needs to be surfaced, is my thing. But then finally, Especially with regard to the map of the chakras, which of course is very close to my heart. And I want to stick with the rage for a minute because, in terms of the chakras, I believe, I don't know if you do, that rage lives in the third chakra, lives as the shadow side of the ego. And when lots of us in this service work or this, well, this yogic work, this service work, this work of sharing and teaching and giving and caring for, lifts up into the heart chakra into the fifth chakra into like you know through our heart through our voices we want to teach or speak about these truths if that rage side if that ego side sort of deep whoever you are side isn't asked so what's underneath there what 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 like what's underneath there i always think about the hot rock kind of like sinking to the bottom of the ocean just sort of watching it fall because it's always about fear. For me, fear of abandonment. Trauma and curiosity is what got me to the mat and what can, mm-hmm. pushes me still to do things like this and ask these questions. But it was definitely abuse trauma and d- trauma that got me there. And so... Uh, this my husband calls this tangent Airlines. We're flying around. Are you cool with that? <laughs> and, so, I love it. Yeah, and so so I, I there's so many things I want to say about this embodied approach of the practice inside you because everything you're saying is so clear to me. I hear it really clearly, and I hear it as this liberation philosophy, if you will. Of instead of navel gazing, you know, having Doug Keller uh, come talk to me for a second time on, uh, oh, tomorrow. And he's coming back because so many people in the audience were interested in his very academic approach. He's a, you know, sort of, I think, just short of a PhD in like philosophy. And, you know, he's spent a lot of time. But he talks a lot about how there's this bifurcation between um, Patanjali's teaching of yoga, which is to withdraw from the world is yeah. to really go in go in go in and then this tantrica sort of approach which is to go out go out go out and live in the world so it's i wonder if if it's if it's that simple for you because i and i don't mean to diminish what any of us are doing but this feminization of yoga is what fascinates me the most, honestly, where I see the majority of us out here practicing, we're mostly, you know, female identifying. And I, 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 I don't want to exclude anybody with my language, but I just sort of want to try to generalize as best as I can. And it strikes me that from the very beginning of our talk, I've been just constantly thinking about this collective and this collaborative nature that you clearly have and this Um, caring and sharing and horizontalizing of the teaching, which I just keep hearing um, you saying. I hope I'm not hard listening, you know? I try to consciously listen. But do you have anything to say about that? Because I want to get to the book, and I wonder if that's what inspired you, because what I do know about your book is that it's so, it's so, well, personal, obviously, as a memoir, but so like directly honest. Like this is my experience. This is what happened. I'm just on this road that we're all on exactly mm-hmm. as you've just said. So again, Tangerine Airlines has landed the plane. Yeah. It's <laughs> at the gate. We'll be, we'll be t- boarding soon. Um, but yeah, w- can we talk a little bit about that, about this like? Well, what I learned, I was really
1: lucky, I think. When I got into yoga, there were systems of yoga um in place, the ayengar system, the Ashtanga system uh, uh, integral um, and I had a real issue with with systems. I had a really hard time uh, you're an activist, right i mean it, it's interesting it, there's something about my nature is mm-hmm. um i mean my high school the first four syllable word I ever learned how to spell was independence. Um, my high school quote was something that I made up that said, individuality means listening to yourself, not to the voices of others. Something in my nature is very much, um, even, like, even though I can, uh, uh, you can see me as an extroverted person, I'm not. I'm actually quite introvert, introverted. My soul gets fed alone in isolation. I do extrovert well, but that's not how my soul gets fed. So my nature has always been to be a little bit more removed from, uh, when it, from systems that say, here's how it has to look. This is what you have to do. My nervous system doesn't do well in those environments, and I tend to cut and run really quick. And I was very fortunate as a little baby yogi in aligning myself with uh, teachers um, And for whatever reason, not always, but often women who supported my independence, who valued it, who were often saying, try this yoga. Now try this. Don't be afraid to try this. Even if they were a part of a system and they had no interest in leaving that system, they wanted me exposed to everything. And then it was what came to me was that yoga is a healing art the key word is art. Art is the the creative expression of an individual. What we know about art and creativity is that it evolves, grows, and changes as the individual grows and changes and evolves. And that when a teacher comes in and says, here's what your art should look like, based on their creative experience, based on the evolution of their own soul, What I believe they're doing is annihilating the creative experience for that individual and taking away the the opportunity for self-discovery. And so it doesn't uh, mitigate the importance of traditions or the importance of lineage. But in that there are so many different systems of yoga I also believe that that speak to a myriad of different personalities that help to support them on their own evolutionary practice. I believe that there are also um, non-systems that are available to people like me who benefit from that creative response and the accountability that's required. Like if I'm part of a system and this, the, the system is somehow doesn't work, it's broken, it's flawed. I can always point to the hierarchy within the system and say, well, I'm only doing what I was told to do. When you engage the practice in a way that's, um, that's, uh, that's more individual, you have to take accountability. Like when I mess up, it's all on me. I have no one to blame within the systems because it's 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 been open to interpretation. So I have straddled the 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 kind of the the the, the creative yoga process in that I have uh, I deeply respect the traditions and the lineages. I study them. I have been a part of those systems, and I have also gone rogue and have incorporated other styles and methodologies that have helped me to expand and make sense of certain things within the traditions that I I can't justify the, some of the things that are a little bit that are more patriarchal that I, that this modern woman is like yoga evolves and changes. And so I, uh, I'm grounded by the work of Patanjali and, the, the teachings there and I am elevated by the tantric teaching and the feminization of looking at yoga as an evolutionary art form that doesn't disclude my soul it includes it and that's how I've approached it since you know I'm still and it's also what I support other people to want to do within themselves, study everything, learn everything, but let it filter through you, feel what works, what doesn't, and know that it's going to change. My yoga today looks very different than the way it did five years, 20 years, 30 years ago. And I suspect if I live long enough, my yoga practice is going to look very different when I'm laying on my deathbed, taking that final breath. Only in that moment do I think I will really understand how everything conspired to create a yoga expression that was whispering in a holy way to my soul that was true for me, not true for everybody. And so I have always felt very liberated to to basically do this free-for-all thing that I do take um the traditional practices modern psychotherapy um rituals and bring it all in because to me yoga is a magical practice magic is defined as shifting energy at will and the entire practice of yoga to me is an expression of that magic it's alchemy you're transforming the lead of your fear into the gold of your understanding And so I'm reverent to the practices, but I'm also reverent to the evolution and not afraid of the way in which yoga is growing and changing. Um, And yet I always hope that the new teachers coming up have a sense of where this came from, understand the history of it, the, the, the cultural dynamics of it, and allow that the roots of that to be the individual foundation. Um, chakras were one aspect that helped me to connect the dots Same. that gave me form, meaning that when I was trying to understand my trauma and I started to understand, let's say the root chakra, for example, And understanding that that's home, safety, family, foundation, our roots. It's genetic code. It's your tribe. It's like where you're... Perfect word. It's genetic code. And so then I would start to look at yoga. And then knowing that if the chakra is responsible for distributing prana to specific parts of the body, and these chakras can get blocked by historical, ancestral, culture, and even modern times trauma, that when we're triggered or activated, that that can cause an influx of energy or a decrease in energy that can create tension in a particular part of the body. Then I can use certain asanas as a way, holding the poses for longer period of time and observing my reaction to the sensation. Sensation is the language of the body. So anger, for example, is not a sensation, but heat in my my chest uh, tightness in my jaw, my heart pounding. Those are sensations that might indicate anger or fear, whatever it might be. So I was able to start designing yoga practices that directly connected to the different chakras, and then would look at the narratives for me personally, that existed within those narratives, um, and see if there was some correlation between my tight hamstrings and the event that was going on in the world or a conversation i had with my partner or the abuse or trauma that i hadn't reconciled from my youth and you can go up the entire chakra line and get information now i'm i'm not even though i'm big on ritual and prayer i'm not big on magical thinking like i said earlier Um, I do believe that everything happens the way it's supposed to in order for the individual soul to transform. And I am able to say that because I believe if something happened, it happened. You can't change what is, So you might as well make meaning of that. That thing happened. It happened both to you and for you. If you want to choose to have that perspective, I choose to have that perspective. Otherwise I'm staying in victim, victim, victim. Um, And there's no growth there. Doesn't mean I can't stay in victim for a while. I, I, in, I, in, I indulge that energy, let it move through. But at a oh. time, there has to be a flip. And so the chakra systems uh, system allows me to see a bigger spiritual picture to why things happen as they do and recognize the addiction that I have to that caustic energy and what it would truly mean to let it go. Which big picture, it's forgiveness and gratitude. That takes a long time, but that is when you like, if you narrow it down, synthesize it, forgiveness and gratitude. Um, And then we cut the cords that bind us to those samskaras that bind us to that energy, to that tension. Um, And so the chakras gave me a pathway that I can combine what I I was learning in modern psychotherapy and in the ancient tantra practices. And they both worked well because my experience, except for Mona, but I had been in therapy since I was 18 years old, but it stopped here. It's what taught me to over-understand. It wasn't embodied. Then yoga taught me to embody it, but not how to process it. Right. And then stuck. Yes. stuck. And, yeah, and yeah. then when your head and heart are not congruent, you're just going to keep lying to yourself. That's the fifth chakra. So you know, going back again to the way in which the creative, uh, the yoga has always been creative for me, it was the marriage between uh, psychotherapy and the embodied practices of yoga and pranayama, meditation, mantra, mudra, that allowed me to really find a, a, a genuine tool that helped me to move energy, understand how that energy got there in the first place, and then transform right. it into something that uh, could empower me. And in that sense of empowerment, where empowerment is, um, is, is equal. Whereas um, uh, there's high ego, which often looks like empowerment. But that's an accelerated third chakra. That's power over, which is dominance. And then there's low ego, power under, which is oppression. And so our culture operates in that power over, power under dynamic. And it depends on it because of the dominant culture needs. It needs the to be fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep, and so yeah. when we begin to identify it within ourselves, when we begin to see the way we're split, I can't. I can't turn out to the world and say the everything that's happening in our world is happening because there's a sense of division. There's a sense of separation. Um, world, you change so that we can know peace. I have to look within myself and see where am I in separation? Where am I in division? Feel that, um, not by abandoning my shadow self, but by integrating it and recognizing the complexities of it, why we're split, how long we've been split. Um, Then I can look out to the world and see that we're never going to change as a society because our society is in trauma with very little tools for integration. The best thing that I can do right now is to show up, model what integration looks like and provide the skills to the best of my ability with compassion and humility that the systems are broken. Actually, the, the systems are fixed, if you will, um, but to change the system, systems are just made up of people. Change the people, you change the system. And totally. so we do that as yogis. Uh we do that, A, by, by recognizing how challenging it is, by doing it ourselves and living as an example, and then without judgment attached, providing the tools so that other people can recognize and take accountability for the division that lives within themselves and hopefully make more integrated choices going forward.
0: Yeah, and the accountability piece is, is one of the most interesting words there. I mean, everything else, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But accountability is so hard and so scary for people who stand to have a lot to lose. And the irony is that they think they have a lot to lose, but in fact, there's so much more to gain. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's, it's it's a loss of the superficial, a loss of power, a loss of... You know, I was listening to a podcast this week about... You know, a politician story, story, like, and, you know, just a, a, a notation by the journalist that, to, that she was reminded of how hard it is for people to let yeah. go of power. And it was a you know, story of a female uh, politician. And in my, the whole time I was listening to it, I was like, why is this so hard for this woman? Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult to get? In my mind, I kept thinking, There's so much more here. And if it's just about the individual losing the power, like, what? how is that possible? But I forget that I've spent a lot of time healing these parts of me. And so it's interesting, you know, John Schumark and I have talked a lot about how this work sensitizes you so much and it becomes more and more of a razor's edge, of deep understanding of that sensitivity and awareness you've developed in yourself which makes your actions in some ways so much easier and so much clearer. And that actually leads me back to something I've been thinking about since way back, you know, 55 (laughs) minutes ago, (laughs) when you said, um, when you were talking about sort of like, don't look at me, don't look at the hair products I'm buying, look at Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Like, if you care about me, then I want you to care about what I care about. And that's what it seems to me that you've done and continue to do. Does that seem like an yeah. accurate description? Yeah, but also, you
1: remember, I'm a longtime student, so I'm always looking at the yeah. shadow. I'm always looking at the seduction. I, I don't want to learn the lessons that I will have to learn if I buy the hype. Like, I'm just aware of it. It's not that I'm above it. I'm just like, oh, I see. Thank you, spirit. You're this is You're being a trickster right now. You're giving me, you're dangling this carrot in front of me um, that looks tasty but I think I know what's going to happen and the work I'm going to have to do if I bite that carrot I'm going to work on my ego I'm going to work on my self sense of self that's all third chakra I'm going to recognize that I cannot get my validation from the outside in that there's never enough um, fame money um, uh, relationships uh, fame to fill a void and that I have to find other ways to fill myself um, so that my sense of self with a capital S is coming from the inside out. Um, So whenever I see the the trickster, I'm like, ah, okay, spirit, I'm on to you. It's not that I'm above it, but I cut it off at the pass. And rather than indulge it, I do my work over here. It's not that I'm past it, um, but I recognize the the, the suffering that I'm going to have to go through if I follow that path. And then I try to flip it and do the opposite of what Mm -hmm. is so obvious to me. And Mm -hmm. even if it's uncomfortable, it's like, okay, this looks like it's about me. My, my common sense is telling me that's probably problematic. It's not that I can't benefit from this. And I do benefit from this on so many levels I have, but if, this defines who I am, then it's a slippery slope um, that's not sustainable. And so for me, there was a, a direct my a direct response to the attention I was getting was to deflect the attention um, and put it outward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it I see and it continued it's a, still a mirror went up. Trust me. I got my ass handed to me in my service over and over again. Um, my level of ignorance, based on uh, based on my whiteness, based on the privileges that I have, um, I got. I had. There was so much that I had to unpack within myself that was so uncomfortable and so painful. Um, but that felt like a necessary detoxification, a cultural and ancestral detoxification. That was only going to lead towards uh, more unity. Um, that, even though that was hard, I feel like it was less hard than the other, the the other ego. Like it's like a you know the junkie just like shoving the heroin in the arm. Like give me more attention. Um, yeah, that yeah. felt that felt like an inevitable death. Whereas going up against the uh the the ignorance that I had embodied felt like a death but a different kind of a death it felt like the death of an attachment the death of ego the death of ignorance the the death of separation and not to suggest that it's dead I just catch myself better now I feel it in my body when I'm about to do or say something that's going to actually cause harm um I still cause harm at times, but I'm able to say, I'm sorry, quicker. I'm able to see the, the, see my role in it very fast. Whereas before I wouldn't have seen it at all. And worse, I would have defended it. So
0: right. Which perpetuates it. So (laughs) to
1: me, it's like, you know, when you, it's like the yoga practice continues to evolve. I don't, the pandemic has been like a whole nother level of learning for me as a student and as a teacher Um, There is a loss of identity within the yoga, uh, broader yoga community and structure. There is deep repair that needs to happen amongst friends, colleagues and family because of um, varying beliefs that didn't intersect and the ways in which we showed up to those beliefs. Um, We were in a first chakra crisis as a collective. The rug was pulled out from underneath us. And we're suffering from deep fatigue, deep loss, uh, loss of identity, identity, loss of dreams. And I personally have been in a deep process in trying to understand as a teacher what my role will be in helping to acknowledge the, the deep suffering and pain that we've experienced as a culture and as a community. And the ways in which we can and need to heal it if we want to continue going forward. Um, so I don't think it ever ends. I think that there's this constant evolutionary process that we're in with yoga. Um, and each of us are along for the ride if we're lucky enough to have said yes
0: to this path. Right. Right. Which, you know, leads me to say, I'm so grateful for your time and all of this teaching and this channeling uh, that seem. first of all, the the goddess Kali comes to (laughs) mind. Really, truly, as you talk, because you know there's so much. You know, I, I was in um, Leh in northern India, leading a retreat like years ago, and it's this tiny town. If you've ever been there, do you know? Have you heard of? It? It's way up north, and the <laughs> the pilots, as they speaking of Tangent Airline's, the pilots as they leave. Um, they're, they god it they have a, a a shrine to Kali because so many pilots as they built the airport and got it going crashed because you're going you're, you're flying straight up into the air over the Himalayas to get it. so they won't even land over it they, they they go around her in deference to um the the danger and the destruction that um that she you know sort of she kind of has to govern that space. But the interesting idea, of course, if you think about, I mean, I uh, had kind of a mentor of mine recently say, you know, one of the issues with yoga in the West is that it left the gods and goddesses behind. We sort of imported these things and untethered them, you know, from these deep, this deep kind of cyclical, Eddie Stern was saying this to me yesterday, like, you know, the concept of time is cyclical east of the dateline. You know, west of it, we started coming up with like linear stuff because was monks just needed to get to meditation on time, which is why we came up with like, it's 1105, it's 1130. Like, is it really? I don't know, you know? And so I guess all all I maybe want to end with is your book and and this, this, this body of work that you've, I mean, to me, you are a body of work and the work you're putting out there based on everything I've learned from you today is just this like constant channeling of learning and forgiveness and humility and love in your in your own body. But this book you put out unbelievably right before COVID happened. And as we discussed, it was good for book sales. I'm so glad that people were reading such a liberation philosophy, if you will, during COVID. Is that where, is that your most recent... Um, moment like stake in the ground kind of like this is what I'm all about and where I hope to take things because that was the last question I wanted to ask which you began to answer anyway over um, very interesting observations of the yoga yeah. community that's really interesting and it makes me sad because I agree with you and sad to hear that but hopeful that we can yeah continue to be again together. I come but from anyway. that
1: belief you can't change what you won't see and so I'm very committed just to seeing what's right in front of us and not running from it, just acknowledging like, okay, that's a truth that exists. Now, what am I going to do with this? And um, and it exists. There's a really deep shadow within the, you know, there's communities of yoga. Um, and I'm talking kind of the mainstream yoga community. Um, yeah. And yeah. that I see such division in. But, um, you know, my, my book was... Uh, the, my book is written in in. There's twelve chapters, I think, and there's twelve narratives that take you from a trajectory from the time I'm 18 up until almost present time. You know, some years back, and in the narrative, it's it's done in first person as if it's I'm um, in that place at that time. The second part of each chapter is me at the age I am when I finished writing it, um, saying, "Here's what was actually happening." through the lens of yoga, here's what I couldn't have known. So when you read the narrative, it just sounds like chaos and, you know, just drama, but from a mature perspective and one that has tools, the yoga was already unfolding. I just didn't know it. I couldn't see it. So each chapter shows my maturation process, the tools, all the tools from yoga to uh, rinsing, um, to service, all the different ways that uh, I get challenged. Like then yoga never ends and the ways in which I'm being provided skills to confront it and mature. So it takes uh, the first half of the book is the, um, the evolution of the soul, which is the individual, you know, my feelings, my trauma, my life, my body, my health, um, my heartbreak, to the revolution of the soul which is the now what what do we do with this and that we're still going to get our asses handed to us the mirror is still going to go up but now we have better tools for accountability and responsibility for forgiveness and for gratitude so the book took me three and a half years to write I didn't really have an an idea of what I was going to write because um, I'm not a natural writer I'm I'm, I'm a communicator but it's a very different skill and I also wasn't quite how do you how do you organize something that's uh, such a felt experience as it is for me and make it relatable and accessible? And so it took a a long time to get it to, for me to feel comfortable with how honest it was, how raw it is, how personal. Um, But I really had a feeling is I can't invite people to take a journey unless I reveal what the journey looks like and humble myself to have my own personal narrative um, in, uh, excavated um, and open for consumption. Like I had to allow myself to be comfortable with that because it felt disingenuous to suggest that other people, like here's what you should do. And uh, instead of actually showing what I do and if it works for you, great. Um, and since 2019, obviously the pandemic changed a lot. My guess is if I ever rewrote the book, I would add a postscript to it.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. About this
1: moment in time.
0: Do it, do it.
1: <laughs> and what, what I learned. Um, and for me, really, I, I get, it goes back to, if there was a big theme for me during the pandemic, it would have been identity. Um, the, because I, I turned uh, 53, during the pandemic. I'm 56 now. Um, I was no longer teaching on a public level. That's identity. I went through menopause. That's identity. Um, There was a lot of loss in my life. Um, Roles that I was accustomed to, that I was attached to, gone. Um, And I had to grieve it. I had to allow space, but I felt shame. I should like, I should know better. I shouldn't have to grieve this. I should just be able to transcend it. And I thought, no, uh, I have to go down into, like, into the darkest parts of that and relinquish something and emptying to be filled. And so many people I've been having deep conversation with have also reflected back to me that identity has been like, who are they now? Now that the world has changed so fast and furiously, who are we? what is our role? How will we serve in this quickening, um, culture? Yeah. Crisis. And so, uh, I, and I've definitely have come to some real healing within myself, uh, continued maturing. That's a big word with me. I've been using that word a lot in, in this conversation and in general, spiritual maturation to me is very different than spiritual transformation. It, it comes with, um, it, it, it doesn't suggest uh, 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 leaving these bodies. It's in the here and in the now. And with maturation comes responsibility. It com- comes with mentorship, modeling. There's something else that comes with it. And so I really look at the role of what does it mean to be mature, spiritually mature, emotionally mature? Um, what do we do with that? And how can we use that energy to help educate and uplift those who are coming up after us, the younger, the youth?
0: Right. Completely. And I, that feels to me like the perfect place to stop, because that's exactly why I am so happy to talk to you and the others that come on to this podcast, because that is what drives me to have these conversations, to think that. You and I had these teachers who are ahead of us, and we came into this practice. I mean, I'm not that far behind you, also menopause. It's yeah. awesome, right? <laughs> if only yeah. I could do it twice. Um, but you know, but then these students come after us, and maybe even another generation after them. And I sometimes wonder, like, what in the world do they think? yoga is if they scroll Instagram or if they are, you know, learning from a teacher who learned from a teacher who'd been practicing for a couple of years, who learned from a teacher who'd been practicing for a couple of years, like where multiple generations, quote unquote, of teachers and teacher trainees got kind of smushed into like a five to seven year period. I just, I wonder what that's, I just don't know where I would even go if I were a new student learning yoga. So this you know, whole body of knowledge, this podcast and these webinars, all the work I did with Sabir and Steven and, um, is around that is around like some being some kind of guide, some sort of like, you know, information. I'm glad to hear that. I think help. it's really important. And, and it's in the same spirit that
1: I'm doing my first teacher's training this year. Um, I've, oh, okay. I've never been willing to teach, you know, beyond like a five day, I'm doing my first, no 100 way. hour and then next year, I'll be doing my first 300 hour under with the same spirit that it's time, it's time to hold the space and to um, help to support those who come after and give them the foundational tools that will really help their own spiritual path to mature. So it's not ad hoc. Um, and again, my whole my whole system is ad hoc, if you will, you know, but it I'm, I have a very deep root. That root is the thing that's allowed me to f- to fly free, but I never forget that foundation, and that foundation is what I think is missing within the culture today. And so I'm glad that you're as committed to wanting totally. to help, to support, and educate, and bring value to that.
0: Uh, likewise, not my stay. Seriously, Sean, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm delighted that it was. over the 55 minutes that I said. And hopefully there's still a lot of people with us uh, listening. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It's called The Week's Well Now. And we hope you follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We're also on TikTok. And we love reviews for you to share this with anybody you know, anybody you know who's seeking to live their best life and learn from conversations like this, these masters, these longtime practitioners in the yoga and wellness worlds who have some things to say about the decades that they have been investing in the project and the process of being well. Please feel free to send me guest ideas, feedback, anything you want to say about this podcast and what you'd like to hear more about. See you next time.